by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Welcome to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors, where we team up with a lot of great professionals in the outdoors, and we like to bring you information every week about lots of different parts of the outdoors, and Wyoming Game and Fish is a very big part of uh, of our show. And Janet Millick, we uh, you come into the show every week with a bounty of information from all different departments that are under the the uh, the cloud of Wyoming Game and Fish Department. That's right, Drew. You know, I think a lot of times people think Game and Fish Department, and they just think. Um, of a game warden and maybe just antelope, deer, and elk. But there is a whole lot more that goes on in the agency. You know, there's 800 species of, over 800 species of wildlife that the Game and Fish Department, um, you know, kind of looks at and tries to manage a little bit here and there um, from little itty bitty songbirds to black bears. You know, it's it's a big thing that that we like to, to study Wyoming's wildlife. And when people have questions, we're here to help answer um, what they need to know. So what you need to know now is over the next uh, few weeks, you'll be introduced to a lot of uh, a, a big cast of characters. And this week, we're really starting from scratch because we're uh, just a couple of months away from the season's being set for the year, we are looking at the condition that some of those animals are under. That's right, Drew. And I just want to remind people that um, the public is very important to everything that the Wyoming Game and Fish Department does. And and now we can uh, talk a little bit about, you know, what's going on out there this winter and, and how the public can help us um, in that wildlife management. And it's interesting how much the weather plays an, a role in that wildlife management, we've had a heck of a winter so far. 37 inches of snow in January, a very cold snap in January, and one in December. And uh, it's really been a, a bad winter so far. It has been um, kind of reminiscent of childhood again, right? Back to the old Wyoming winters. Um, it's it's kind of nice to see. And, and it's actually been oddly enjoyable. So, so I'm happy for it. But those of us who have lived in Wyoming for many years know that February is often a time where we kind of get a reprieve. We kind of get a little bit of snow melt. We kind of get a little bit of warmer weather. And so let's, let's hope that that does um, play in on areas across Wyoming to help some of our wildlife out. And this week, Janet, we have Justin Benfit with us, and Justin is on the ground. He's boots on the ground doing a lot of the research and a lot of the counting on mule deer to see how the uh, seasons will be set. And Justin, are, are we looking pretty good as far as numbers, and has the weather really affected the uh, the animals at this point? Drew, it's a good question. And if we're going to really answer it right, I would say check back in about a month and a half. And the reason why I say that is just because that really we just don't know. But here's what we have going on. We've got a few things going on. We have low, kind of low populations right now with deer and antelope in a lot of the region. Lots of elk, but low deer and antelope numbers. So that means there's kind of less competition. We had a good wet year this last year, good wet spring, good growing conditions. So Animals entered this winter in pretty good shape because they had less competition. They had lots of forage, that sort of thing. So 
I think they're going to, they're better equipped to survive the winter, including fawns that were born this last year than they have been in some recent years. So that's the good news. Uh, and the other thing about this winter so far is it, it hasn't really been a cold winter. But now let's forget those first three days that we had, you know, back right before Christmas. That was brutal. Right. We all, yeah. That, we, were, mm -hmm. we will remember that for a but long we time. Haven't, we haven't been hitting like that zero degree mark for most of the winter. But it, it, but like you said, there's a lot of snow on the ground and there's some basin snowpack um, that's pretty high. And in parts of the state, winter or winter conditions are certainly bordering on severe, like in Western Wyoming. And I've been told down by bags and like some of that country, Saratoga and stuff, there's a lot of snow in a lot of places. Yeah. But even some of this desert country west of Casper, I was at chucker hunting on Saturday, chasing those little birds around and I was stomping through more snow in some of that country than I ever have before in January. So it's winter out there. So what effect can just snow? So you mentioned that we haven't gotten those bitterly cold below zero days, but with the snow cover that's all over the state, how does that affect the numbers? Well, so is what can happen is, is, you know, when we have just enough, you get that snow that had some decent moisture content, you get a little sun on it, it creates that crusting layer. And then it hasn't warmed up. Well, it hasn't been as a, a, a colder than normal winter. It hasn't been, we haven't had those real warm periods. Like Janet was just talking about, we can get in February. And so a lot of that, the snow hasn't melted. And a lot of that is what it did is when it, it, it got just warm enough to, to kind of ice over and crust over that prevents snow from blowing around as much as it normally does. So there's a lot less snow free places than, you know, than we normally get in central Wyoming, but it lays, leaves that layer of crust. And anyone that's been out there in the last month walking a dog in a park or or out hunting rabbits or whatever it is they're doing knows it's it's kind of hard to walk through. And, you know, when a deer, an antelope and some of our other wildlife have to have to deal with that on a day in, day out basis and they have to dig through trying to access forage and things like that. There's a lot of energetic costs there. It takes a lot of energy to just to walk through that stuff, much less um, forage in some of it. So, and you can see examples of that just right here in town. For anyone who kind of watches the antelope herd that hangs around Casper College, Mike Cedar Park, you will see those those antelope pawing and digging down through the snow just to try to get to some of the, the forage that they need through the winter. So, it, you know, is not just for those folks that are kind of out in the rural, the wildlife that's out in the rural areas. You can just watch that here in town and you can really see how that affects wildlife. And it can be pretty strenuous on them to continually have to use that much energy to get down to the food. Will uh, large herds like that, will they migrate further away when the ground is totally covered at all times? Will they try to go to where there's there's less snow cover? They will, yeah. And it, But it, it also is kind of species dependent too. You know, elk will travel kind of anywhere, whether it's trying to avoid where they're getting hunted or or where, where, you know, some country blows free of snow and they can access some forage. Antelope will move quite a bit too. For example, just south of town, um, three winters ago in that Bates Hole area south of town, we had a ton of snow and we had more antelope down on some lower winter ranges than, than we've, like even some old landowners had ever seen. And so mule deer are a little bit different. Mule deer will, will certainly move and avoid snow more but they're, they're a little more hardwired to kind of winter in the same areas year in and year out. Now they might just go down elevationally a little bit and that sort of thing, but 
they tend to still stick to the same winter ranges and that sort of thing. So, Justin, I've seen a lot of mule deer down uh, in the lower elevations. Normally, I'd see them up on Casper Mountain, but they've moved down. Have there been real issues with the mule deer this winter? We don't know yet. I mean, like kind of like we talked earlier, it's, you know, it's kind of been a, a somewhat harsher winter around here with the snowpack and stuff. But some of, you know, one thing the public may not be aware of is we actually have as part of this uh, research project looking at chronic wasting disease and some other things. We have a lot of mule deer actually collared south of Casper. And the, some of those collared deer are, are Casper Mountain deer, Muddy Mountain deer, and then in that Bates Hole area all the way to Alcova. And so far, at least, and we have a lot of fawns collar too. And, and when you do start losing animals during the winter months because of just starvation and poor body condition over a tough winter, fawns are usually always the first thing that you lose. And then following that, old adults. And then, you know, if you start losing like prime age adults, you know, like a, a five-year-old female or something, then you're, then you know, it's a really, really severe winter. And the good news is with our collared deer to date, we haven't we haven't had any winter losses yet and so but the other thing that i always will point out to people is in wyoming if we're going to lose deer and antelope to winter severity or just a tough winter it's usually going to be in that february march time frame and the reason for that is is that's when they've endured the bulk of the winter they've been under kind of we call it caloric debt you know but it's Basically, they're in starvation mode from, from the fall all the way through the winter. Even though they're eating all winter long, they're not packing on fat and, and that sort of thing and muscle mass. So they're actually kind of slowly losing that. And then so they're at their weakest point come February and March. And then that's also can coincide sometimes when we get our heaviest snowstorms. And so sometimes that can be kind of what, you know, is the straw that breaks the camel's back for some of them. Now, I assume that you can tell how those deer die if something is natural or not natural, like being hit by a car, right? Yeah. So, so like with our collar deer, sure. We can get out there right away and kind of figure out, you know, did a mountain lion kill it? Did disease kill it? Did it just lay down and die from starvation? Like that sort of thing. But, you know, it just kind of depends on where we're talking about. So it's fair to say that, you know, if we lose a, a few fawns here and there, you know, out in the countryside, out away from people in remote areas, we're not going to know about the vast, vast majority of those. But every now and then, we do have some some larger die-offs. And certainly in western Wyoming, th those large die-offs happen much more frequently than they do in this part of the state. But you just take the 2010-11 winter, for example. Um, that was a really severe winter west of Casper. And in, in those cases, we estimate we lost anywhere from 60 to 70% of our antelope out in that poison spider country in that winter. But we also had way too many antelope going into it, way, way too many. Um, the population densities are really high, but we didn't start seeing those deaths until like March. And then all of a sudden there was antelope carcasses strewn throughout the countryside. And, you know, getting tips from the public on that kind of stuff can be really helpful. And it, in that case, you know, a few landowners and stuff said, hey, we got antelope dying. We went out there and checked it out and figured out, like, in that case, the die-off was pretty widespread. One of the things that um, maybe I want to clarify is when we talk about these animals that we have collared, we um, have the ability, it's, it's kind of a big process, but we end up with a GPS collar 
on these animals. And so we're able to watch them in real time, what they're doing, where they are. So we can kind of watch these, these big land movements. If you know the winter is severe and they're kind of moving to a whole new area that's new and different, they give off a different signal if it's, we call it the mortality signal. And so we know if something has happened to that individual deer. So it's really easy um, for us to kind of go out at that time, find that deer with the mortality collar um, or mortality signal and look and see, was it a, a lion kill? Was it winter kill? And then kind of look from there. So, so that is, you know, these, these GPS collars are pretty fantastic. Awesome. Janet and Justin Benfett from Wyoming Game and Fish Department, we appreciate it. And as always, if you have any questions for Game and Fish, you can always hit us up in the radio station's app. We'll get those questions answered for you right here on the show. We have more of Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors coming up. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Hey there, it's Drew along with Brian Woodward from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. And uh, Brian, uh, you guys do anything and everything that has to do with the outdoors that doesn't contain a ball. That is correct. And that was one of the very first things when I came in and sat down uh, a few years ago was people get it kind of confused with maybe an outdoor game store, a ball store or something. Yeah, it's you know it can be confusing. You know, it's Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. You know, and depending on what kind of sport you're involved in, you might think that we carry footballs, baseballs, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we really focus in on the outdoors, the hunting, the camping, the fishing. One, one of the things that I love about Rocky Mountain Discount Sports is if you don't know, if you come in, everyone that works here has a love of some sort for the outdoors, whether it's hiking or shooting or archery or, you know, just even just camping and, and loving the outdoors. Yeah, I you know. And that's the best part about this job is that, uh, you know, it's something that we're all passionate about, whether, you know, we have a specialty in fishing or hunting. But, uh, yeah, we get to talk about, you know, whatever whatever we love every day. So you come into the store and you're looking for something maybe to get up on Casper Mountain. Maybe you can do some snowshoeing or need some trekking poles. I mean, that's uh, you guys have a whole wall of hiking and outdoor stuff there. Yeah, this is the time of year for that those types of activities for sure, you know, and we carry a, a full line of like muck boots and cold weather gear. So we've got your hats and gloves and, and all that kind of stuff that you can go out and actually enjoy this weather. So ice fishing is really on top of a lot of folks' mind now as we're getting into the end of bird season. Uh, goose season, just a couple of weeks left. So uh, obviously any of the supplies you need for any of those outdoor events are, are here too. Yeah, you know, now that uh, most of the waterfowl seasons are coming to an end, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time, you know, chasing some pheasants at the bird farm. You know, keep that dog active, get a little exercise ourselves, and then uh, hopefully, you know, sooner than later, we're going to start seeing some warmer weather, some water opening up, and then we're going to start working on boat prep. I think for next week, it's going to be above freezing for a couple of days, which we haven't seen that for a couple of weeks. So it really would be a great time to maybe start thinking about uh, what you need to get in your boat, you know, at least get out and uncover it. Well, you know, this is uh, this is that time of year that uh, there's not a whole lot going on, but man, a little bit of boat prep right now. I mean, taking the batteries, making sure that the batteries yeah. are fully charged. You know, winter's pretty hard on, hard on hard on the batteries, even if they are in storage. But uh, you know, putting a charger on those, getting a good charge. 
uh, maybe going through your tackle, maybe relining your, your rod and reels, uh, you know, organizing some of that tackle that you just threw in the bottom of the boat, uh, making sure that, that good plano boxes. So, yeah, there's, there's plenty to be doing, and uh, the better you prep now, uh, the better your fishing season will be. One of the things uh, you're about to, to take off and, and head out of town to hit up some of these shows and, and do some ordering for the next year, are you seeing any products that may look different? than it is this year you know um that's what we're going to find out you know shot show just got done with so there was a few uh new guns uh you know a couple manufacturers that are coming out with some new uh calibers and that type of stuff some new platforms on some guns but um yeah you know this, these are the trade shows that we go to that you know maybe coleman or savage or somebody just has some new accessories that uh maybe you won't find everywhere else but you know we're, we're going to take a look at them and and check the validity of them and we're going to bring them in the store if we think they're good for this area one thing that really is really started to shape up is the fact that uh the shelves are stocked and you know most everything is in there's still some of the ammo that isn't in yet but as far as some of the smaller shot you guys have it all yeah you know getting into the season here um we're going to be uh, out there trap shooting so you know we've got uh, lots of uh, trap loads in, in stock which really were hard to get last year and then you know all the pistol right uh pistol ammunition right now is great so uh you know the guy doesn't have to worry about well if i go and i to take the wife out to go do some target practicing whether or not they're going to be able to replace that so uh it's it, everybody should feel a little bit more confident that you know there's not a shortage right now we can get the ammunition so get out there and play around a little bit if it's hunting fishing hiking camping anything outdoors you can get it at rocky mountain discount sports it's wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors back with brian woodward from rocky mountain discount sports uh, brian you're always part of the show and you love getting out and fishing and hunting and well as we talked a little while ago you're part of the outdoor environment here working in it and loving it and fishing is one of the things you love to do in the spring and summer and even some ice fishing here and there but bird hunting we've been talking a lot about this because right now the uh, the geese are really still kind of flocking around yeah we um got uh basically a week left before uh, goose season's done with in this area um, and then once once that's done, then you know most of us are that are avid uh, wanting to keep the dogs working. We're probably going to be hitting the bird farms for another month or so, and uh, and then start prepping for some, uh, summer uh, fishing. Casper, we've got quite a bit of snow on the ground, and there's some places out like Riverbend Roosters where you know it's a great time to get out and, and chase some of those birds. Yeah, you know we don't have a, a, a real big uh, wild population of pheasants, and what we do have, you know, the state usually plants those at you know. Areas like Glendo and uh, uh, Springer, Ocean Lake, those areas. So, but those seasons, you know, t- those end up at the end, wrap up at the end of December. So, uh, normally, you know, you go to these bird farms and they're they're uh, able to put birds out all the way through the end of March. So, um, it really, I mean, as the weather gets a little bit nicer, you know, get the dog out, do some running around, uh, get a little exercise for yourself, and just have a good time with it. You and I have uh, gone out goose hunting a couple of different times and. One time that we didn't have snow and another time we did have snow, but now we have quite a bit of snow. And are you seeing any effects on the way the birds are reacting? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty hard for a, a goose or a, any bird really to feed out in the middle of a field and there's 10 inches of snow on the ground. So um, we're starting to see those birds are hitting feedlots and areas where they're feeding cattle, that kind of stuff. 
um, which, you know, we can't necessarily hunt. Um, but uh, we're seeing more birds that are just kind of loafing around on the on the river a little bit more, um, feeding as, you know, probably a little bit less than they normally would. But, um, yeah, it's been it's been tricky. And, you know, the, the snow definitely causes its own uh, array of problems uh, for getting around and and concealing. When you're setting up on on a hunt like with 10 inches of snow, you obviously want to get a try to get close to a flyaway, right, where there's a source of water and maybe feed down the way. But how are you setting up your your blinds and your decoys to try to lure them in? Yeah, we still, you know, try to try to try to put the decoys on the X, right? We we want to be in an area that they're feeding or that they've they've been using. We definitely uh, you can you can try and run a big spread and try to just you know what we call run traffic and try to you know get those geese to to change their flight pattern a little bit. But you know, it's pretty tough, you know. These these birds, you know, they they they've been around. They they've been shot yeah. at for you know three or four months now, and um, so a lot of times, especially when we start getting snow, we kind of start looking for areas that maybe that are wind blown that's mm-hmm. kind of exposing a little bit more grass maybe the tops of these little hillsides and that kind of stuff and then when we have a lot of wind you know try to try to find an area that the geese are using that are kind of out of the wind they tend to stay in those areas a little bit more and as far as setting up decoys and whatnot and the blinds you know we still just try to play the wind and uh, you know try to try to funnel those geese you know to a, a nice landing zone right in front of us do you at this point have to have a bigger spread of decoys than maybe you would have at the beginning when you they were still kind of being fooled easily? Sometimes later in the season those bigger spreads tend to work out a little bit better. It really depends on, you know, the the birds and what they're what what they're using for for fields and and really what kind of groups of birds are out there. Um, a lot of times in in the Casper area we're shooting the same, you know, 40, 50, you know, smaller groups of 100 type of stuff. They're, they're sitting in more smaller family groups, you know, in, mm-hmm. in three packs or eight packs or whatever it is. So just kind of keeping an eye out, just scouting and seeing seeing what the patterns are and seeing how many birds are using the field. I mean, if you, you're hunting a field that typically only has 30 or 40 birds, you know, setting out 20 dozen decoys may not make sense. Right. So When you're thinking about, uh, you know, items like that, you you have to start planning ahead of it. And you've got to look at the forecast because you've got to see where you're going to set up. And, I mean, you get out there well before daylight, but sometimes you have to uh, transition on the fly. Especially because we're going into these fields and stuff late at night or early in the morning. um, And we really can't visually see exactly, okay, I was on top of this little hillside or on the bottom side of it. Uh, we use Onyx maps a lot. So with Onyx maps, you know, we're dropping a pin or marking a waypoint so that, you know, the next morning when we're driving into the field, we can, you know, take our phone or GPS and follow that, you know, right to the, right to the spot. So let's transition a little bit from the goose hunting to ice fishing because we still got lots of uh, fishing to do. The hog derby, we're going to see some results the next day or so of that. But when people are going out now, the issue has been – plowed roads are you able to get to say Mm -hmm. pathfinder but places like glendo a little easier to get to yeah you know uh, glendo's had a little bit better access i mean just getting to the reservoir than pathfinder has glendo at this time of year will start having some some other challenges and those challenges are is that glendo will constantly start keep uh, rising in elevation and so as that uh, water rises, the ice basically is pulling away from the shoreline. The ice is still generally good in a lot of those cases, you know. Um, obviously, that's something you got to be real cautious of. But a lot of guys this time of year are having to use like a wooden plank 
uh, to a get light, onto the ice. A ladder of some sort, maybe uh, something to lay across the ice is what you're saying. There. Yeah. Um, some guys are talking about, you know, I was reading a blog the other day about, you know, there weren't, you know, using, make sure you bring waders, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, we've talked about the safety issues before, you know, I mean, uh, just because you can get on the ice doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to get off the ice. And, you know, we had had those anglers up at uh, Pathfinder last year where the ice broke oh, yeah. away. And, you know, now they're like, you know, 40 feet from shoreline just floating on a piece of ice. So, um, Glendo, um, de- definitely need to be cautious this time of year. Um, but uh, the, the reports I'm hearing from the fishing side has been pretty good. So, uh, obviously, Boysen is always uh, pretty much a home run if you want to get out. And no real mm-hmm. issues because it's good thick ice and cold temperatures all the time there. Yeah, generally that basin is really cold, and the ice conditions are better than most areas in the in the Natrona area. So, if you're looking to get out, um, you know, again with all precautions, but I mean, usually the ice conditions over there are quite a bit better than here. Fishing, hunting, it's all here all the time in Wyoming, and we love it. And that's why we do the show. And if you have any questions, you have any comments, you can always reach out to us on this station's app and shoot us a message. All right, Brian, we're gonna do it. We're gonna you're gonna fly away, and I'm gonna see what kind of uh, mess I can get into on the mountain this weekend. <laughs> it's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. Thank you so much for tuning in to Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. We really appreciate listening. And if you miss any of the shows, you can go into the station's app and listen to all of our previous episodes. Today, we're visited by a very special guest from the Muley Fanatic Foundation, President and CEO Joshua Corsi. Joshua, what's going on, my man? Hey, I'm doing good, Drew. How are you? I'm doing great, Joshua. Thank you so much. How are things going with the Muley Fanatics? Oh, man, things are going great. Uh, we're having a doozy of a winter, though. Good night. Between the, the cold, the wind, and the snow, it, it's it's all Mother Nature can give us, I think. As far as mule deers, do you think this is going to be a, a bad thing for the mule deer that are, we already have bad uh, uh, low numbers? Yeah, mule deer are taking it on the chin. Uh, ab- absolutely. Um you know, we've we've been involved in a lot of satellite collaring projects, research projects with the uh, Monteith shop from the Hobbs School at the university. And, uh, you know, we're getting regular updates on on mortality signals and then being able to go in and recover deer that have just laid down to die just due to malnutrition, quite frankly, in the elements. So, yeah, it's another it's another blow for sure. It really stinks in this situation because we need the moisture. We need the, the snowpack to help out which will, you know, help out maybe in the uh, uh, chronic wasting disease numbers and, you know, spreading that disease. But, man, it's taking a toll on them. Oh, man, it is. Uh, every every time you turn around, it seems like there's something impacting mule deer, uh, whether it's disease or habitat fragmentation or predation or just the elements of Mother Nature. Deer are a sensitive species. There's no doubt about it. But, uh, you know, we're doing what we can to try to be a part of the solution and see what we can do to help offer some mitigation and remedy some of these impacts. But uh, yeah, they need all the help they can get. And that really is why foundations and organizations like the Muley Fanatics, they're very important for Wyoming's deer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, conservation, you know, it's its a responsibility at the end of the day. It's a responsibility that uh, we have as this being our time on the timeline of history that, uh, you know, what are we going to do? Uh, we have a responsibility to the next generation. And oftentimes, and we we probably made the mistake uh, 
11 years ago as an organization to have this big 230 inch buck as our logo, you know, really right. that often gets confused with uh, hunting. And while we're certainly hunters and consumptive users of the resource, conservation is so much bigger than that. And wildlife means a lot to the people of Wyoming and it means a lot to, to the people of this nation. I mean, it's a, it's a wildlife resource that's held in high regard and people come to Wyoming to see wildlife and People like to pursue wildlife as a recreational activity to help with the culling of those numbers for sustainability. But uh, You just mentioned something that I think a lot of anti-hunters don't really think about, and that's the fact that if you don't hunt, you're overpopulating, which is not good for the herds, which in the long run hurts the animals more than hunting. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, Drew. Hunting is a tool in the toolbox of game management, and it allows the public to participate uh, in help culling those numbers to sustainable levels that are rooted in science and carrying capacity objectives. So, there's a there's a lot of a uh, lot of effort out there to uh, dilute and confuse and try to to shed negative light on the activity of hunting, but it's a very important role that sportsmen and sportswomen get to participate in the management of our wildlife. And it's all in the name of conservation. What are some of the things over the last 10 years that the Muley Fanatics have really been determined to contribute to when it comes to mule deer? Yeah, that's a, well, that's a, that's a, that's a good one, Drew. Uh, tremendous, I would say. Uh, we're in our 11th year now. Uh, we just finished up our 10th anniversary in 2022. But, uh, you know, prior to that, uh, Joey Fagel and myself had uh, led a volunteer effort with uh, another conservation organization specific to mule deer for five years. And we generated a, a lot of money is what it amounted to. We're passionate uh, about trying to do something for our mule deer and seeing the decline of those populations, particularly at that time in South Southwest Wyoming. And we're really probably, uh, if there's one area where we have probably kind of cut our teeth and carved our niche and how we do things is from the headquarters, we have been a big proponent of science, have funded a lot of research. Uh, You know, we took on a very expensive PhD project in 2015 called DEER. It was an acronym that stood for DEER Elk Ecology Research, where we were going to utilize the efforts of the university and get the buy-in from the Game and Fish to uh, do a a very extensive five-year study where we collared uh, deer and elk to look at the interaction between the two. One, of course, deer, a declining population, and elk, a robust and growing population on the landscape. And could the competition of those two species be having some sort of detrimental effect to deer? And You know, that was a that was a big project and a big lift for us shortly after the gate out of the gate, you know, three years in the in the fold and trying to commit to a project of that magnitude and that expense. It was that was a big one. You know, the, the bulk of what we do as an organization and it was by design was all of our chapters and we have 17 chapters, nine in Wyoming, eight in other states is that the bulk of the money that is generated by their annual fundraising event is that that money would stay in a local bank account in a local community. And then a local all-volunteer project committee would allocate those funds on the ground in their backyard. And that's really what separates us from so many of the other groups out there is we just have a different niche. All groups are important that are working for conservation. We just found a different piece of the pie to work in. And there are so many different conservation organizations, and that's the key word, conservation. Whether it's mule deer, elk, antelope, 
moose, whatever it is, the end game is conservation and making it as good as it is here in Wyoming. Well, you couldn't have said it any better. I, I've, I've said it myself that uh, the, the flavor of the day in the conservation community in the 21st century is collaboration. I mean, you look at it, we worked 10 years on getting this ground, this project to break ground that broke ground last year between Labarge and Big Piney with the underpasses there that were very important for those migration routes that those deer have in their transition from winter to summer range and just the the mortality on highways across the cowboy state is pretty profound in the impact that it's having on our wildlife resource and if it wasn't for collaboration that project would have never come to fruition i mean that took uh, the state agency it took conservation groups it took the build grant from the federal government you know once uh, the feds were able to to make that grant available and to pitch in the 14 million dollars that it needed to bring that project to to the goal line uh, we'd still be working on it and still raising money for it without no progress and no boots on the ground or poles in the ground or concrete being poured if it wasn't for having partnerships that could do that man you guys are uh, putting blood sweat and tears into making sure that the mule deer are, are safe and and have a good outlook in the future. Yeah, that's that's the that's the whole point of what we're doing is trying to trying to do what we can to leave it better than what we have it and know that it's a responsibility and an accountability to the next generation to make a difference. So, yeah, you're 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 spot on. You get it, Drew. They say that uh, time flies when you're having fun and you're starting <laughs> starting your 11th year. How much fun has it been to uh, make an impact like you have? Collectively, you know, you know, 10 years is nothing but a number, but it was a it was a milestone for us to have a little bit of an opportunity to, to have some reflection and look back. And I, I think that, the, you know, we, we certainly are mindful of the efforts of so many to, to help support this and, and to move it forward and to be ambassadors and champion the effort. But uh, uh, yeah, it, it's been a heck of a ride. I'll say that. It has. It, you know, it doesn't come with a playbook or an owner's manual. So we've, you know, your best teachers, your own mistakes and you learn as you go. And you, I think the the thing for us is that we, we know people care about wildlife. We know people care about deer in particular, and we know people will rally around supporting, you know, Wyoming is such a, a tremendous state and not that, uh, you know, other efforts in other states don't matter, but in Wyoming, we have found that Wyoming folk in general are so giving and so generous and hold so true to their values of stewardship and conservation that uh, you don't have to look far to find people to support a good cause that's rooted in good decision and good science. And one of the ways you're doing that is with Mule Deer Days. The inaugural event is happening in the first part of March. Drew, you're, you're an expert at what you do. Good segue. <laughs> yeah, Mule Deer Days is, uh, you know, it's been in our think tank for years, our, uh, you know, for the, the previous 10 years now, we have had uh, annual chapter fundraising banquets with each of our various individual chapters. And we have always thought that, uh, you know, somehow or another, Wyoming is sure missing out on an, a great opportunity with as many passionate people that live in Wyoming that care for our wildlife resources. So many of our neighboring states have these big annual conservation expos that draw people from abroad, which is, you know, enormous for economic impact to those areas. But really, it's a celebration of the wildlife resources and the passion that sportsmen and sportswomen have. And so we've been working on this, this, this thing that we're calling Mule Deer Days. You know, we, even that took a, a little bit of an opportunity for us to try to digest what's a, what's a good brand, what's a good right. name for this, what is essentially a conservation expo. And 
so last May, uh, Director Nesvik and uh, myself and Joey Fagel, we, uh, we had the discussion about trying to get this off the ground, and we've been working diligently ever since then to, to really bring this home for Wyoming to have a, a sportsman's expo that uh, would really be a difference maker. And I say that um, because so many of these other events, and I've been to many, and they're great fun and they're great to support, uh, but at the end of the day, what, where's the measuring stick to quantify what that effort was and the money that was generated? And so Mule Deer Days will be no different than our chapter efforts. At the end of those two days, those dollars of uh, what is accounted for as income, the net revenue of that will be allocated through an all-volunteer project committee made up of sportsmen and sportswomen from around the Cowboy State to put money back on the ground to help mule deer in Wyoming. It's the inaugural, like we said, so it's a, it's the brainchild of Josh and all the other folks in the Muley Fanatics. And it's March 10th and 11, the Sweetwater Events Complex in Rock Springs. Well, Josh, real quickly, let's kind of run down the lineup of what's going to happen over the those couple of days. We've put a lot of work into this. Uh, Friday will be uh, the main exhibit hall. Both days we'll have 45 different vendors that we have strategically reached out to. You know, we weren't looking to uh, duplicate a, a home and garden show or a holiday show. We wanted specific folks to the industry of, of the hunting community and the sportsman community. Uh, one of our partners that have been with us that uh, established themselves in this industry uh, about the same time we got it going was a, a very popular gear line called Kuyu. Uh, they've never been to Wyoming. We're excited to welcome them. And, of course, it's important for us to be able to reach out to some of the Wyoming businesses that uh, you know are in that industry as well, the Weatherbees, Best of the West, Maven, Lucid Optics. Um, Caltech just recently moved to Wyoming. They're now headquartered in Rock Springs and are in that transition from moving from Florida to Wyoming. But then again, bigger ones that, uh, you know, are more nationwide brands that we thought would be important to have, Phonescope, Kinetrack, Mini Muleys. I mean, all 45 of our vendor spots are full. Uh, both days will have a, a great, uh, great opportunity for folks to visit and see product demonstration and their latest offerings. Uh, but we've got all kinds of events packed into this thing. We've got a ladies-only brunch on Friday that has a, a huntress uh, that has a, a huge social media following named Serena Thompson out of Oregon. She'll be the guest speaker. A lot of gifts and raffles and games. Oh, Friday night, we've got a, a really cool event. It's limited to 100 people just because of the way this event is, but it, it'll take place at the complex but off to the side. But it's a guy, you have to check him out on YouTube. His name's Andy, and he now is known as the flip-flop guy. That'll be, that'll be a good time. Man, I'm so excited about our life member breakfast. I can't even begin to tell you how excited I am because we've, uh, we've been able to bring in a keynote speaker that uh, is internationally known across the globe. He's a tremendous conservationist and a tremendous scientist, a guy by the name of Shane Mahoney, who is larger than life. But Saturday evening, that the live auction... Uh, that we have is a is a tremendous live auction. We've got uh, four governor's tags, five commissioner tags, a, an Alaska fishing trip, an Alaska cruise, a Cancun vacation, a Belize jungle adventure, a hog hunt, a gator hunt. I mean, our live auction lineup for this expo's inaugural event is as good as it could be. Uh, the big thing is, though, is uh, we got a 200-gun raffle. All 200 guns will be on display, and you buy a raffle ticket, you're in for all 200 guns, and we'll give all 200 firearms away, which I think will be 
pretty exciting and a culminating exclamation point to a great weekend of conservation and celebrating mule deer. So, but then following that live auction, we've got a comedian that we're bringing in that we, we booked a guy by the name of Ginger Billy. And I don't know if you've ever seen him or not, but man, check that guy out. He's funny as can be. If you're familiar with Earl Dibbles Jr., he, he does a lot of, a lot of his videos with him. He's kind of his sidekick, but, uh, that's going to be great entertainment. And that's what we were looking for. It's unique, but still be entertaining for folks and have a good time. And Well, I guarantee you it's going to be a good time. Joshua Corsi, President and CEO of Muley Fanatic Foundation. Go to muleyfanatic.org to find out more information on Mule Deer Days. And if you want to be part of this organization, again, you can catch up on the station's app. Thanks again, Joshua from Muley Fanatics, Brian from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, and of course, as always, Justin and Janet from Wyoming Game and Fish Department. Again, if you have any questions for any of our guests, you can hit us up in the app. We're back next week, same time, for another great show. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors.